you don't always conduct business the way you want when it comes from a place of fear. Uh, and I was not always in that position where I could be very intentional about who, you know, which client I would onboard. Um, I learned along the way, and I don't want to give the impression that I had all the answers starting. I still don't have all the answers by any stretch of the imagination, but I learned at least one lesson, which is not all money is good money. And that came through time and being in a place, you know, of more comfort. I think that it's, it's hard to be a conscious leader when you lead from a place of fear. Welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we amplify the voices of leaders who use business and influence as a voice for good. We believe it's their example that will have a tremendous impact on our next generation of servant leaders who will carry us forward into our bright, sustainable future. In today's episode, Jeff Bond chats with Claire Angel, founder and CEO of Angel Consulting, a mission-driven public relations and consultancy firm. Founded in 2018, Angel Consulting's motto is to fuel positive change. The company has extensive international experience working with government agencies, influencers, and companies large and small. Claire talks to Jeff about how PR can be used as a force for good, the importance of leading from love, not from fear, and how leaders can be more proactive about their conscious leadership. Let's jump into this conversation with Claire Angel. Over to you, Jeff. Claire, welcome to Chapel Leaders. I am so thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. It is long overdue, my friend, from the moment I met you and uh, all that we do here to amplify and elevate those leaders that use influence as a force for good. It just makes sense to have you on here to share your story, share your wisdom. So really appreciate the time today. Really excited. Thank you. Yes, indeed. All right. So we're going to jump into uh, the central premise today of elevating voices through PR people that are doing well while doing good and and you have made an art of this in your career but i want to start with just what you think is a common misconception about pr that you passionately disagree with well i think you know you rarely hear about pr and force for good in the first place the world of pr the industry of pr is more associated with something opaque something that we leverage to disguise the truth and an ugly truth we talk about crisis communication and how to you know use pr pr veneer to make re, you know this alternative reality better than than, than the truth and and you know PR is what you make it to be. It is neutral in the sense that it's a set of tools that people can leverage to get their stories told. Um, and so while not as often as I would like to see PR is used for good, it is certainly more than possible. And I, you know, I live it every day and I'm not the only one there. There are lots of great organizations out there that leverages those PR tools to really tell great story, worthy stories that uh, should reach people. Amen. Yeah. I love seeing the organizations that have a really strong intention around sharing positive stories and being more proactive versus reactive. And of course, just like anything, messes do happen, even with good, well-intentioned companies. But it's not all about the spin doctoring or that PR veneer that you talk about. And and I can't wait to dispel that myth with you today. So what and or who sparked this interest in the field originally for you? Well, I've always been 
passionate about communications and I actually started my career in communications, but not in PR at all. I was, I started my career with the French Foreign Service, as I'm sure the listener will be able to quickly tell with the accent. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I've always liked telling stories when I was looking at, you know, picking a degrees, I was hesitating between journalism and diplomacy and I ended up, you know, linked into two. Um, so I've I've had that for um, for a long time, and then um, when I moved as part of the French Foreign Service as press attaché here at the French Consulate General in Atlanta, um, I then transitioned from national government to municipal one when I joined the mayor's office to um, lead of an office of international affairs, uh, and so then it became more of the international affairs relation. But from from the onset of my career, it was very much communication um, oriented. Well, I'm sure you have such an incredible perspective now, just having so many global experiences. I think it's becoming more and more increasingly important for leaders to have a global mindset where they're considering just the cultural nuances. There's more competency in terms of how we communicate with one another and the fact that our supply chain, our economy, you know, if there's issues like a global pandemic, you suddenly realize how interwoven and interconnected we all are as a global community. And now you have so many people that have been transient through their childhood. I've heard of the, the phrase third culture kids in different countries that are now coming into the workforce with totally different worldviews. And so being able to communicate what that looks like from a world standpoint is so important. And unfortunately, you know, it's not necessarily in the wheelhouse of all leaders. So I'm sure it's, it's helpful to have people like yourself uh, by their side. So, you know, you've kind of shaped this idealistic view of business and leadership influence as a force for good, which is a, a passion we share. Uh, how has that challenged the way in which you've built your practice? And you talked to me before about being more selective with your clients and your projects over time to make sure that you're really honing in on that category of leaders. So how have you been able to do that? And, and how has that been a challenge? Well, first, I mean, I'm going to be candid when I did you know, starting my business was completely out of necessity. Um, there was no thorough business plans. And I had this view of capitalism that was not a very positive one. So, and I never, I didn't grow up in an international household. It kind of came about, but um, I come from a rural area in France. Um, I'm the only one in my family with a, you know, um, higher education who speaks a foreign language. So being an entrepreneur was never on the radar. And I actually had a negative view of the private sector. I had this like, view of capitalism that uh, you, know, you take advantage of people and, and resources. Um, and, uh, and out of necessity, you know, I, I, um, I lost my job. I was laid off with, you know, as part uh, of a, um, as a massive layoff. And uh, I built a website overnight, didn't have a business card, a mission statement, none of the like. Um, but I want, I wanted to do business in the way that I would be proud of. Um, but I didn't have a word for it. You know, it's until not until two years ago that I really learned about conscious capitalism and the four tenets and putting really a framework around that way of doing business that aligns, you know, profits with people and the planet. It was actually meeting one of the first certified conscious capitalist um, consultant in the world, Ken Gregoire, who um, became a client of mine that I finally had this, you know, whole terminology to express what I had been feeling all along. 
and that there is another way of doing business that you don't have to, you know, you can be proud of looking at yourself in the mirror, building an amazing company and, you know, feeling that you're doing good for the people around you and, uh, and the planet at large. There's so many good things you said there, particularly the, uh, I wanted to do business in a way that I would be proud of. There's so many people I feel like that have gotten into their careers or growth as leaders that maybe have done things that they weren't so proud of, or that maybe they were operating in a framework of a business that, you know, wasn't thinking consciously of their impact on stakeholders. And maybe it was just all about shareholder value, but what a great inflection point and opportunity that you were forced into. Sometimes these are all blessings in disguise, right? Even though they're oh crap moments in your life, right. you know, it, <laughs> it ends up being, you know, this, this beautiful thing. And, and I've just enjoyed seeing, you know, your business flourish. And I know that it will continue to do so as you, as you build this network. So you talked about, well, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, and I was absolutely, but I want to, I don't want to be, you know, I want to be very transparent. You know, at the beginning, out of necessity, you don't always conduct business the way you want when it comes from a place of fear. Uh, and I was not always in that position where I could be very intentional about who, you know, which client I would onboard. Um, I learned along the way. And I don't want to give the impression that I had all the answers starting. I still don't have all the answers by any stretch of the imagination. But I learned at least one lesson, which is not all money is good money. And that came through time and being in a place, you know, of more comfort. I think that it's, it's hard to be a conscious leader when you lead from a place of fear. Mm, great wisdom. And not all money is good money. Yeah. That's hard to pass up for a lot of people. And, and I've, I've operated out of that place of fear too, starting as an entrepreneur and, you know, you start to get your footing and then you can be a little bit more selective. So I want to segue into that. So you've now been able to grow your network and business around conscious capitalists, whether they're aligned with the movement or not, they're just purpose-driven leaders and that's who you represent. So, um, you've been able to kind of dispel the cynicism that many people have of capitalists only being greedy and solely focused on shareholder value and that these people do exist. Uh, so how, how have you been able to do that? What are some of the decisions you've had to make and, um, things that you've had to turn down along the way? I think, I mean, it started more as a niche, but, you know, I think also through COVID, um, existing, tr many existing trend accelerated. And I think conscious capitalism is one of those where, you know, business leaders or People new to entrepreneurship, but looking at building a business, wanted to, you know, be more purpose driven. We see the stats. We know that employees nowadays wants to, you know, work for purpose driven companies. We see the stats for consumers who want to put their money with companies that shares their values. So gratefully, my client pool is organically growing because of those overall trends. Um, as far as my own business growing, it's been pure referral and word of mouth. Um, and that's the case a lot in PR, except if you have big marketing budget. Um, so usually my existing client will lead me to my next and, and et cetera, et cetera. And that's the best you know, compliment when your existing client can't wait to recommend you to other people. Uh, so, so that's, you know, it started with me as a solopreneur and now having, you know, a team around me and uh, it's been pure organic growth um, through word of mouth and referrals.
Yeah. And it's good for business that, you know, I think the, the thing I've, I've learned about conscious capitalism is that we don't shy away from the conversations around profitability or the fact that you can do more good while doing well and, and growing your business. In fact, I'd argue that for-profit businesses out there have a greater ability to contribute in a profitable way to society and sustainability and, and future causes to create generational impact with that influence that they have, uh, with, with money and, uh, so it's not it's not about greed. It's about intentions. And I think once you start to find yourself around those like valued leaders, uh, you realize that more and more people are seeing that now. And then that to your point, this next generation, Gen Z, is driving it because they're making consumer and working uh decisions where they where they're employed based on uh, how well intended those companies actually are you know they're the real spirit of it absolutely and and that was actually one of the lessons along the way um when i reached that stage where i was ready to make uh, my first hire was not that long ago it was earlier this year um it took me a lot of um work on myself to it, I, I was afraid of the responsibility of having full-time employees. And while I could have done it a long time ago, um, I had to work on myself to reach that point. So finally in February of this year, I'm ready to, to take the plunge. And, you know, you're looking at a relatively new company. We in the midst of a global talent shortage where everybody's competing for talent. And I have, you know, not the most competitive salary bracket to offer and not the most competitive sets of benefits. And I thought I was going to be doomed for the, from the start. Um, and it was actually a very easy process. And I hire someone using, you know, LinkedIn, not someone I knew, not through referral. But I think that when you lead with conscious capitalism in mind, and I was very intentional about putting the salary range in the job application. Um, I had, for me, impeccable writing skills was the number one skill for that particular job. And so I was requesting a customized piece. I offered to pay $35 an hour for all the finalists taking part in that exercise because I'm a strong believer that all work deserves pay. Um, I did not lengthen unnecessarily the the process, the selection process with the four or five rounds of history that I've been subjected to as an employee um, and really trying to meet people where they are and, you know, rejoicing our joint, you know, shared in humanity. And uh, I was flabbergasted that it was easy and effortless. And when I hear that it's, you know, impossible to find good people where you know, six, seven months in, and it's the best decision decision I've ever made. So, um, so I think that uh, conscious capitalism, we know it is is good business because you inspire people uh, to join your organization, and and that's a powerful motivator. So why don't more leaders see that? You know, where people are more respected, more rewarded, that they are tied to this anchored value of, of conscious capitalism and, and respecting humanity, you know, how, how come more leaders don't see that today? What do you think people are missing? I mean, I think it's a combination of habit, you know, it's worked for me in the past. It'll continue to do that. And, and ruling from a, you know, leading from a place of fear. Um, you know, when, um, I think that when you're 
coming from a place of love of expanding, um, you know, you are even from a cognitive standpoint, don't make decision from the reptilian part of your brain and you can be much more intentional and, um, and make much, you know, ponder decision, uh, from a place of love than a place from, from a fear. So I, I think that it's a mixture of fear and habit. Love it. What have been a couple examples of leaders you've worked with who are showing what it takes to be a conscious capitalist or living it out and they're also thriving in the commercial world and and maybe what what are they doing that really sets them apart? Well, I already mentioned Ken and how, you know, um instrumentally was with me discovering the conscious capitalism movement. I would add I work with um a, a couple's founding team out of Seattle, uh, Lewin Sesuzuki, who founded the first um, climate neutral merchandising company in the world, and um, the you know the the way they work around sustainability and and you know laser focus on helping solve climate change and see you know how everything they do is intentional and built towards that that angle has been a, a profound source of inspiration. And I would say that you know they they know about conscious capitalism. They 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 function with the tenets in mind, but not all leaders need necessarily the terminology to live it. Um, I, I work with an amazing uh, entrepreneur, um, Gracie Murphy out of Atlanta, and she didn't know about know about conscious capitalism, but she live and breathe it every day. Um, the way she treats people, the caring culture she's established in her company. Um, the, I mean, she's through and through a conscious leader. And to your point, uh, again, you don't have to compromise results and profit for that. And her example, I mean, she moved from to, to America from Brazil, barely speaking English. 10 years later, she sells majority ownership of a company uh, and now is building another, which I'm sure will be a tremendous success for company. Uh, and she does it with grace. Uh, and uh, and it's just beautiful to see. Um, I get reminded every day in the work that I do that, you know, it's not only the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. And I still don't understand why everybody is not choosing that path. Mm. I love what you said about, you know, language is helpful for sure, but you don't need to have the language to live that out and to exemplify the behaviors or the tenets. There's a joke in conscious capitalism movement that it, they're unconsciously conscious and that's perfectly okay. You know, we're just as happy right. with that as somebody who wears the badge uh, because of the ones that are creating our bright, sustainable future. So for the leaders out there that are inspired, and I would imagine they are, who want to take that next step towards just not only creating a better public image, but, you know, being one that's more pro uh, proactive about their conscious leadership, what's something small, like what's an action that they can maybe take on today to get them on that right path? Well, I mean, first I came to realize that the people with the best stories are the one that don't willingly put themselves out there. So that would be the number one, number advice one advice is, you know, get out there and start small, you know, reach out to existing, you know, always go for the low hanging fruit, right? You're probably a member of a trade association or a chamber of commerce. Why not reach out to talk about, you know, a speaking opportunities at the next networking event or, um, a lot of those membership come with um, some public relations and media opportunities. I know, for example, the entrepreneur organization has a partnership with Inc. Um, you know, inquire about existing opportunities because I can guarantee um, that they are already 
tons of opportunity to get your story out there, your name out there. Um, and it's just a question of um, making yourself available and making others aware um, of that desire of yours to, to be more public facing. It's one of the greatest gifts you can give to the next generation of leaders is sharing your story and meeting them where they're at today and their struggle and their search for meaning and purpose and, and impact, you know, for you to be able to share your story. It does matter. I think so many humble leaders feel like maybe they don't have a story to tell or that it's not going to create impact, but it most certainly does start small in your local community and all these organizations. Great advice. Absolutely. And I would just add to that, that I was recently in a conversation with a fa fantastic business leaders who didn't want to tell a story. And that doesn't have to be the angle. It can be, you know, what have you learned that you can share? You know, it doesn't have to even be about your company. It doesn't have to be about your journey. If you feel like it's not that, you know, story worthy, which I'm sure it's not, but some people don't feel the need of sharing their personal journey. It can be about what can you share with, you know, people who are earlier on in their career who could benefit from your experience. Yeah. Mentorship and you know, pouring into others, being others focused. I mean, that's a great sense of fulfillment. You can have a tremendous impact that way. I felt, I've really felt that way with just podcasting and interviewing wonderful leaders like yourself is that, you know, being curious and learning from others and, and helping shine the spotlight outward at who your stakeholders are in the community. That can be such a tremendous gift as well. And you don't have to be the hero of that story. You can make others the exactly. hero and you can pour in. So great distinction. Um, so if people wanted to follow you online, engage with your brand, Claire, get to know a little bit more, uh, where would you guide them? I mean, the best way to reach out is, is via email at Claire at AngelConsulting.com. And I'm, you know, also on LinkedIn, Claire Colbert Angel. Uh, my website is AngelConsulting.com. So plenty of opportunities to engage. Awesome. Well, we will absolutely include those resources in the show notes. So go check them out and uh, highly recommend connecting with you. Claire, such a gift to know you. Thank you for your wisdom today, your gift of time, and uh, just allowing us to unpack your story a little bit. Thank you, Jeff, for giving me the opportunity. I appreciate it. Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. Thank you for investing your time with us today. If you haven't already, we would be grateful if you shared this episode with a friend and rated it on Apple or wherever you get your podcast, so we can pass down the wisdom from our guests to more aspiring leaders. If you're interested in launching a professional podcast to grow your business, we would love to help. Check out chatwithleaders.com for more information and feel free to reach out by emailing team at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again and go be a leader worth following.